but it's also that I know what it does for everyone's mental health. Imagine if we had not had the parks during the pandemic. Imagine like if we had not been able to go there to exercise or to meet friends, that they are really infrastructure for us. And they change our whole feeling about the world. They change how our whole, like you're having a bad day. You go take a walk in the park. You actually feel better and your health is better and the air that you breathe is better. And you are actually just inherently happier. Uh, And I think that's what nature does for people. But even here in the city, we actually have a national recreational area. I don't think anybody thinks about the fact that we actually have a national park in the city of New York at Gateway. And it is gorgeous. If you get out into those areas around Jamaica Bay, it is incredibly serene. Welcome to the award-winning Leadership in the Environment podcast. We guide you to living better by your values. We bring you relevant views on important topics without doom and gloom. We focus on awareness and action. It's about bringing fun, community, and connection to your everyday life. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing and turning on notifications. Let's do this. Catherine Garcia is running for mayor of New York City. Pretty big deal. And talk about a welcome change you're about to hear from the all-too-common American politics, especially with the election we had last year. And no matter where you live, I believe the New York City mayor matters. Not only do many trends in politics, business, culture, education, sports, and lots of areas of life start here, our input in entertainment, culture, but also pollution, population, affects the entire United States and I would say the world. You'll hear for yourself, but I heard someone speaking from her heart and experience that she's acted and she's reflected on things that matter to everyone who breathes and pays taxes. New York City is in the midst of a pandemic, ethnic issues, racial strife, a cultural scene that's been shut down through the pandemic. There are disparities of wealth greater than since the depression and so on. That means there are more issues than anyone can talk about in just one podcast episode. So I wanted to focus on sustainability and also her leadership, her personal leadership. For background on her, she's a lifelong New Yorker. She's a former commissioner of the Department of Sanitation. She's the former interim chair and CEO of the New York City Housing Authority and the COO of the New York City Department of Environmental Protection. So she's coming in with a lot of experience. Let's listen to Catherine. Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Joshua Spodak. I'm here with Catherine Garcia, mayoral candidate of, of New York City. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day. Glad to have you here. And the listeners don't know that you just told me about how you're out in Far Rockaway and it was a very cold day and it was like freezing cold, but you're out there with the people. I take it that's what you're doing. Yeah. Yes. No, I was in Far Rockaway because the state had proposed closing their only hospital. And Far Rockaway is very isolated mm-hmm. from the rest of the city. And it means that it could be a 20 or 30 minute drive for them to get care in an emergency, which is just wrong. Now, this brings up one of what I'd like to start asking about is that I guess maybe I've been a bit jaded from our last presidential campaign, but I think Americans aren't really used to someone who's going into politics for public service. And your background clearly shows that. And I wonder if you can share what motivates you to do, to act in service of others. To, I mean, you don't have to do this. And it seems like you're not, like you really are doing this to help, to serve. Yeah, no, it, that is very motivating to me to get up and know that you are doing something in service for others. For example, when I was at DEP, we banned number six fuel oil from heating plants in New York City. You can see the difference in air quality after that change happened with SOX and NOx and PM 2.5. I know 
that means fewer kids in the Bronx are getting asthma. It did not make the front page of the New York Times. But I know that it happened. And I know that it made a difference. And that is enough. I mean, how does it feel? Is it like, um, is it a sense of accomplishment? Is it a sense of civic duty or pride? Or, I mean, it could be different things for different people. It could be for me. It really, it really is a sense of accomplishment that you made someone's life better, that you were able to really do something that served your neighbors. I'm glad that makes sense to you because, you know, I pick up garbage every day and people are like, why do you do that? I'm like, how could you not? It, you know, it almost goes without saying, but it's that feeling that I cannot put into words. It is it's like you want to make your community better and helping the people and the environment in your community. It does make you feel good. Yes. It's, it's so simple. And yet people walk past the garbage. Another thing that I've, I've been in New York City since the 80s and I've been biking the entire time. Actually, I take it back. There's some time when the, the unlimited MetroCard was new and I, I was like not taking as, as much then, but I was out last month in the freezing cold. And so the infrastructure is better than ever. I think the support from the city is better than ever, but I don't think we're anywhere. I mean, I've been to Amsterdam. I don't think we're anywhere near our potential, mm-hmm. but I know this is something that, that you talk about. What's like a vision that you have? What could we have? Oh, I honestly see really rethinking our entire public realm, but an, it's a network of protected bicycle lanes that are also incorporating green infrastructure into them so that, you know, not only are you able to move more quickly than you might be able to in an automobile, but that you're also getting exercise and you're enjoying the city. You enjoy the city more from a bicycle seat than you do uh, from a car. I am not so good in the freezing cold on a bicycle. I've not, uh-huh. not overcome what I do about like, my hands, even though I see the folks who do deliveries, who have the mitts and everything on their bikes. I've not quite gotten there yet, but I really do see it as where it is viewed as a completely legitimate alternative form of transportation for getting anywhere in the city of New York. And that means you've got to do more protected bike lanes. You've got to make it more of a network because there become places on some of the networks where it's shared and shared usually means the cars are, are in control and the bikes are in more danger. But I, I would see the ability to really open up the space for, for bikes to make it so that people can safely ride uh, in the city of New York and, and enjoy the city. You said that biking is a legitimate alternative, but I hope someday that cars are viewed as the alternative and perhaps less legitimate. <laughs> Well, yes, yes. But the the way you get people out of their cars is you make bikes and mass transit faster than the car. And the the challenge is just in some of the far, far outer boroughs. Uh, It's hard to go to the grocery store. Yeah. It's hard to get that done with with, on a bike for them. Yeah, that's something I don't have as much experience in. I mean, living in Manhattan the whole time, I go to the outer borough sometimes and I've ridden my bike out to my sister's out in far out in Queens. Yeah, it's a different story out there. I'm glad you have different perspective than I do. Yeah, no, it's a, the, the Manhattan perspective is that you know you, you actually have a lot more convenient mass transit and a lot more biking options that are protected than many places in the rest of the city. I will comment on the cold that since I've been riding a bit in the cold, I have a friend who rides his bike in Alaska a lot and he's gotten to minus 40, which apparently if you inflate the tires indoors, when you go outdoors, you have to reinflate them because the, the gas pressure drops. Yes. Interesting to know. And your eyelashes will freeze to your eyelids. Yes. So I hear, yeah. And, and I'm glad that you noticed also that the 
when I'm riding in the cold, a lot of people are like, how can you do that? But there's delivery people are out in the cold and they're not complaining. You don't know. Like they might not like the cold. They're, okay. Um, <laughs> they're still showing up to work. Yeah. They're still working. Yes. And, um, you know, another thing, all right, I'm going to go down a, a couple of things that I, I, I don't want to take away from their very important issues that are unrelated to, uh, that are very important that I'm not going to touch on because I want to go around sustainability things and things that are, I think are relevant to everyone. And you tend to talk about on your pages. Uh, food is another really big one. And, you know, I haven't thrown out my garbage in years because I, I avoid packaged food. That means shopping at farmer's markets. It means having a CSA. It means going to the co-op on, on 4th Street, which I love the community there. Uh, the last thing I did, the last public appearance I had before the pandemic was to go to the Bronx and speak at a community center there. I actually demonstrate. I brought my pressure cooker and made my famous no packaging vegan stew. We need more farmer's markets up there. And I think that there's a problem with demand because I've been there at the farmer's markets and people walk past because, I don't know, I, they don't know what to do with the vegetables, I guess, or there's not enough of an infrastructure. I mean, what do you see in the way of food and getting farmer's markets out to places where they're not? And I find that I calculated all my food budget last year and I spent less than average, despite people thinking it's more expensive, but I found it not to be the case. So I believe that you should have more or less a farmer's market in every neighborhood. Uh, but we do need to actually pair often with community organizations because they don't know how to cook it sometimes, or it's not culturally what they are accustomed to eating. When I was working on emergency food, we were giving out barley at one of the, I mean, it was barley and a bunch of other things, but the barley, nobody had, there was no takers because we were in upper Manhattan in, on the East side and they just did not want barley at all. <laughs> and they wanted everything else. You know, you go other places, they're like, I need that pineapple. That pineapple's going home with me. But, you know, making sure that we are meeting people where they are culturally, because food is so important, uh, but making sure that they have the healthy fixings for that. So you're not, fast food's not your option. And how to do things quickly. And, you know, one of the biggest challenges for, for heads of households who are usually women is you just, time is such a premium. And cooking from scratch takes time. But how do you do that and prep it on a weekend? How do you make it so then, oh, your lunches are made for the week? All of these things we could be teaching. When you're mayor, I have ideas on how to get that across because I've learned to cook very fast from scratch mm -hmm. and very cheaply. And it's healthy. And it's, oh, yeah. you know, particularly as we saw coming out of the pandemic, who was most vulnerable? You know, it was underlying issues that almost always have a relationship to food, hypertension, obesity, diabetes, all these things that made you more vulnerable to the virus are also inherently about what you, what you are putting into your body. Yeah. Food is, I'm also not thinking about litter and I picked up litter every day for about, I'm in my fourth year now. Since the pandemic, it's skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like everyone, at least around here, everyone's eating like two meals a day, maybe three meals a day outdoors or takeout. And so it's, it's litter on the ground. And it's also the amount of garbage that's coming out that's led. It's like almost every day, there's a huge pile in front of every building. And it didn't used to be that way. And I think that's not particularly healthy. And if we simply say sanitation will take more of it away, I think that's like spooning out the flooded water, but not turning off the spigot. I would love to see happen. And like, you know, we were working on some of these types of legislation is extended producer responsibility. 
Mm -hmm. uh, laws, which for those of you who don't know, it is that you make the person who made the product responsible for ha what happens at its ends of life. So, you know, we do have some, we have it for electronics. I don't think it's a great law, could be stronger, but we really need to do what they do in Europe, which is around packaging. Because does your tube of toothpaste need to be in another package and then in a bag and then another bag uh, for you to get home and brush your teeth? I don't think so. And what is going to happen to that when it is, when you're done, when you go to say like, I'm, I have finished this tube of toothpaste. Is it recyclable? Can you take it apart? Like, where is it going next? And the answer shouldn't be, it's going to a landfill. And the other answer shouldn't be, local governments are responsible for figuring that out. Because if you're thoughtful about design at the beginning, it's a lot easier to deal with that at the end. What role does a city have in that? I personally think, I look back at um, the anti-smoking, no, no smoking indoors. Mm -hmm. And there's this big thing that motivates me, which is that I remember people saying, if we do this, then people are going to leave to Hoboken for after work because they want to smoke when they have a drink. Two years later, Hoboken had to outlaw smoking indoors in the bars and, and restaurants because people are going into the city and it was a benefit to us. And I feel, I can't prove this as an economist or something like that, but I think that if we say like no single-use packaging or as you said, extended producer responsibility, I think that that would increase business but I think that no one thinks that way. Oh, I think it could. I, I absolutely think that it, it could be a, a boon for the city because it would make the city cleaner. You know, if, if there was no single use, there'd be a lot less litter. Yeah. Because uh, those are the things that get thrown on the floor. And if you don't have them, if you're bringing your own reusables, then we would actually have a cleaner city inherently. And when you have a cleaner city, you have a more prosperous city. You've thought of that about this. That alone is like enough for me. I mean, I know that this is what you your job was before as well. What can a city do? I mean, is it, I haven't really thought this through. I haven't been running for mayor. So I don't really know what could be done. Oh, there are lots of models. There's lots of legislative models out there that either the city or the state could do. There's some in the United States. I'd say some of the better models are actually in Canada or in Europe. Any come to mind or is that... So like there's one where they, you know, they charge a certain percentage of the cost and that money gets used for the end of the line. So they're thinking about if you make it more expensive to recycle or whatever, then you get charged more. <laughs> you try and create an incentive for the designer to think about how they are, where their packaging is going to go. Well, when you're mayor and this is happening, if you need labor on this one, <laughs> look no further. I only have, always need advocacy on these things because change is hard. Big plastic doesn't like it. And so, I, you know, I have, when I banned styrofoam, I got sued. And I do believe they basically called me arbitrary, capricious, and stupid. <laughs> but we won. <laughs> but at the end of the day, we won and we got that ban put in place. Yeah. And thank you. And not just labor, but also, you know, experience of having lived a less polluting lifestyle. That, and it's not like, more plastic is just more convenient. It's not. And I, but a lot of people think it is just like, I guess there was problems with the, with the sodas a while ago and plastic bags are somewhat limited now, but not, I mean, there's still a lot of them around. Can I ask you about congestion pricing going back to transportation? I don't know if this is a city thing or what can a mayor do in this area? So for congestion pricing, it is a state legislative act, but with the mayor, the mayor's the booster. In this particular place, the mayor is the booster and the mayor will have to assist the state 
because any of the tolling is going to have to be on city property. Like it will have to be on the sidewalk or the street, like how we actually get this done. And so the city can help facilitate or be a barrier. So when you say booster, I think that I take that to mean, I mean, as a leader, one can lead with authority and also one can lead independent of authority of one's voice, one's behavior and things like that. Is that what you're talking about? Right. No, sometimes you have to also be an advocate for the city of New York. You have to be the advocate and the voice that's saying, yes, we really want to do that. Or, you know, yes, we want more bike lanes. Yes, we want congestion pricing. Uh, This will make our city better. I can't wait to hear this voice. I'm going to get myself in trouble by saying how much I'm annoyed at someone taking a bunch of cars down to Brooklyn to just go to the gym. And (laughs) there were were times when I was like, I will buy him a stationary bike. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Besides public service, what's something that you like to do on your own or that the people listening to this would, I mean, I like to pick up garbage. I didn't at the beginning, but as I've done it more, it it just makes me feel good. Are there things that the average person could do just to enjoy, to give back to civic life, to enjoy their time in New York City more or wherever they are, if they're outside of New York City? Right. No. So one of the things that I've always thought, particularly on a lot of things around sustainability, is you know we try and fix the end of the line, and it actually is all of the choices every one of us make every single day that impacts that end of the line on whether or not we have a more environmentally friendly city. And so, if you choose to make sure that you're bringing your reusable bag and using your reusable coffee cup and Uh, making sure you're not using single-use plastics and really have to spend some time and thought about it. Staying away completely from plastic is hard because there are things you find, you're like, oh, there isn't, there's really hard to get a wooden toothbrush. It's possible. Uh, You can get shampoo that comes in a block, but it's not that available in comparison to other things. But it's your choices that you make that make the difference. Uh, And if you start to try and imagine what it would accumulate into in just like one year, and then you think, oh my goodness, if my whole block just did this, how much that would be in terms of waste? Or if everyone biked one day a week, how much less traffic there would be? You begin to see your actions as part of a collective that actually does really make a difference. Because one of the challenges I've found is, well, will my decisions really change climate change? Can I really make a difference on climate change? And it's like, the answer is yes, because it is every one of our individual actions that makes it so that we're talking about this. If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small, doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, You'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodick.com slash donate. I'm really glad to hear that what you talked about, and to my word, is, is like, it's certainly a matter of personal leadership of, of choosing one's actions deliberately, but I also heard it's going to lead others. Mm-hmm. And that is something that a lot of people focus on just what can I, you know, just measuring the output, you know, one person divided by 
8 million in the city or 7.8 billion in the world, it's like, it rounds off to zero. But that's not the measure. It's how we affect others, what we, how we change culture. I couldn't help but comment on, on that. The environment sounds like something very important to you. This is not like something that's just come to you. I've been working on this for the last 14 years, you know, and, and where you probably, our biggest success as a city is how we run our water supply. Almost everywhere else in the world that they either have huge pumping operations because they got to move it up and over, or they have to filter it, which is incredibly energy intensive. For 90% of our water, we do neither. It just comes by gravity. And then because we keep the watershed clean and the city pays taxes and, you know, pays for the wastewater treatment up there and pays for sewers up there, the fact that we keep it clean means that we don't have, we can allow the natural systems to do our filtering for us, which is better for the environment. And it makes it so we have great tasting water, better pizza and better bagels. <laughs> and a beautiful never sink uh, reservoir up on my, where my mom lives outside the city. One of the 19 reservoirs and three controlled lakes that make up the system. Oh man, I love, I love the sound of this. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about the environment, what motivates you? Most people looking forward, it's like they want to protect the land and so forth. But I mean, like something that, what about nature motivates you to protect it? If that's, if I'm reading right what you do. I think that it's not only the fact that natural systems, I think are basically smarter than we are, but it's also that I know what it does for everyone's mental health. Imagine if we had not had the parks during the pandemic. Imagine like if we had not been able to go there to exercise or to meet friends, that they are really infrastructure for us. And they change our whole feeling about the world. They change how our whole, like you're having a bad day. You go take a walk in the park, you actually feel better and your health is better and the air that you breathe is better. And you are actually just inherently happier. Uh, And I think that's what nature does for people. Now you're talking generally, and you grew up in in Manhattan, in New York City. No, in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn. Are you speaking from personal experience? I, it sounds like you're speaking from personal experience. I certainly have gone to the, like, I mean, I love New York City and I love our parks and getting to be in them, you know, keeping up with my mother when I'm on a walk with her. She's 80. I try and keep up. Uh-huh. But I've also seen like majestic, beautiful national parks. But even here in the city, we actually have a national recreational area. I don't think anybody thinks about the fact that we actually have a national park in the city of New York at Gateway. And it is gorgeous. And if you, if you get out into those areas around Jamaica Bay, mm-hmm. it's incredibly serene. How do you get there? Well, you could take your bike. <laughs> uh-huh. But, you know, you can get out to Jamaica Bay on the A train. Okay. You can get out there on the bus. But, you know, you can, you can go out and, and see, like, what is gorgeous in, in the city of New York. I'm out getting into the Rockaways. And if you're a surfer, you can go surfing. I have taken a couple of lessons out there. Yes. But on the other side, if you start to go around, you know, sort of past where uh, JFK is towards Brooklyn, it's really beautiful. There's the new state park at the end of Flatbush Avenue there with great views over the bay. I will email you after I do this because now you make me want to go out there. Don't go out when it's this cold. It was very (laughs) When uh, I'll wait till spring. Based on what you described of your experience with your mom in the park growing up in the pandemic, the majesty of the state parks, I invite you, and this is at your option, if you don't want to, that's fine, but to think of something to do to act on those things. And I got to be careful. I'm not saying what's the most important thing or what the New York Times says to do to fix all the world's problems. It's not about that. 
It's to do something based on the feeling of majesty or the beauty or the, the sanity that it brings. Something new that you're not already doing and something that, that does have some effect. Hmm. Something new that I am not already doing. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be long-term or it can be. I, haven't, I have not done is actually, I've not participated in a beach cleanup. And you know that would be something I think would be worth doing. I'd love to ask how it went afterwards. I would be happy to do that. Okay. And I'm also thinking I go off, I've picked up off, I volunteer with Riverkeeper and pick us, get stuff out of the Hudson and the East River. But um, could I ask you after you do it, could I have you back and ask how it went? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And I suppose with most guests, I ask at this point when we could do that. I suspect that with your schedule, you don't know when that would be. I don't know when that will be. <laughs> but my team will find a time. Okay. And uh, yeah, I would love to hear how it goes. You, you haven't done it before. Oh man, you're in for this weird treat of like discovery of something about human nature of like, how did people let this happen? Oh no, I mean, but I, I did have, you know, a trash museum. Uh, when I was at sanitation, where someone had literally, one of the sanitation workers had collected things thrown away for 30 years. For 30 years, he collected garbage on the Upper East Side and he would keep a thing or two. Uh-huh. And so there is a mass collection of the late 20th century and what we threw away at the M11 garage. I suspect you must know Robin Nagel, professor at NYU. I know, I know Robin very well. She was on a panel that, that we did, and she is really, cha- I mean, she's one of the reasons that, uh, how do I put it, that I'm into garbage, that, that I look at garbage differently as a result of her. Yes. I assume you read her book. Yes. And I'm about to reveal something I haven't revealed to most people. I don't know if you know, she, when she teaches her course, she has one night when the students go out in this group called the Freegans take the students out and they go through basically dumpster diving, mm-hmm. but it's, there's no dumpsters involved. And she said, Josh, you will never see things again, uh, the same way again. And we go out and I'm like, it's crazy because you go out and people who've been doing this for a long time, they start opening the trash bags and this is late at night. So there's like, it's stuff being let out for people to pick up or the sanitation to pick up. And they find like perfectly good stuff in there, Mm -hmm. tons of it. Mm -hmm. And at first I'm like, all right, I'm just going to watch from the outside. And then later you're like, I want to get some of the stuff. Yes. No. And it actually, right now there, there's a, a whole group of that going on and Instagramming what they're finding on the curb because people have been decluttering, shall we say. Mm -hmm. And as they declutter, they just get rid of things that are perfectly good. Yeah. And another thing here is that, I mean, I live right by Washington Square Park. The Northwest corner has gone from, it's always been the weed corner to seriously harder stuff. And as a result, the trash bags around are getting opened. Like the, the litter not trash bags like the city stuff, but the people's household stuff, I presume because they expect to find stuff good in there, meaning that people are getting rid of perfectly good stuff all over the place all the time. I hope, and one of the things I'm trying to do is like a a cultural shift of where we don't produce so much waste to end up with so much for the city to clean up. But you, you have to really think about it also is we produce so much waste, but we also produce things that are not very fixable. Yeah. So when you get disposable clothes or just not disposable in that wear once, but don't wear it past a season because it's going to rip or and not be worth repairing or a piece of furniture that's not going to be worth repairing. 
you end up with more material getting thrown out. And also a perspective, a mindset of someone else's problem. And I feel like when I go to Washington, I know it's, we're going to have some warm days soon and all the trash cans are going to be overflowing. And it's people who I don't think they're thinking of themselves as making a mess or producing or filling landfills. And I have to pause here and say, I'm really glad for you to share. I know that this isn't necessarily, these are my talking points on becoming a mayor, but I feel like your sharing is to me different than what I think of most politicians. I'm glad to hear. Yeah, I'm not good at staying on my talking points, (laughs) (laughs) which sometimes make folks think like, why am I bothering to write you talking points? (laughs) But now these are particularly this topic I just feel very passionately about. Yeah, it's, it's a weird topic for trash. I mean, our waste, our view. I think a lot of people feel like, yeah, someone's going to clean this up. So I'll just make a mess. My taxes pay for it. And then they make the mess. And then the taxes do pay for it. But then the taxes go up and then they feel more compelled to make more of a mess because the taxes are up. Actually, there's something I've been saying. I understood the sanitation's budget last year or the year before was something like 1.6 billion. Yeah, probably. I think it's actually close for 1.7. And I wonder if we had less single-use plastic, if we had fewer plastic bags, if, we, if people got less disposable stuff from a cultural shift, that, that would not be legally, I mean, that would just be people having of their own choices. How much can, do we save money on sanitation? I presume we do. We do, though, not as much as you would think. The big chunk of the weight is food and yard waste. That is a third. Really? Yes. And yard waste, I guess, is coming from the outer boroughs. Yes. I don't have a yard. Yeah, there's, there's actually a tremendous amount of yard waste in the outer boroughs, about 6% of the overall city waste stream. So that's, um, I mean, lawn mowing and, and tree clippings? or Yeah, trees, lawns. Leaves. Oh, goodness. Leaves. Lots of leaves. And what's your vision on composting? Oh, I believe we need to have collections citywide and it needs to be mandatory. Oh, right. And we need to turn Rikers Island into windrows. Oh, that's right. You were, can you tell me more about that? I think we have a couple minutes left. Yeah. You know, right. People put housing there. It's like, it's in a flight way. You will torture them with noise. I was like, but imagine if you could make it a renewable island where you have the real hard thing for getting full renewables, batteries for energy storage, but also a composting facility so that we can keep that third of the waste that we produce in our city, make it into compost, use it in our parks, use it in our gardens, and you have a very virtuous circle. I Music to my ears. <laughs> I'm going to leave it. I'm going to close there with the one last question of if there's anything I didn't think to ask that's worth bringing up or anything you want to say directly to the listeners. Oh, no. I believe that we can come together and make New York City the most eco-friendly city in the world. You know, we're already leaders in everything else. We should lead on the environment. You know, we should be the ones to take charge and have a full vision together of, you know, greenways, connecting all of our parks, absorbing our stormwater cooling our streets, improving our air quality, and just making us happier. Oh, man. You ended right there. Catherine Garcia, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Have a great afternoon. I love that she could talk about, without blinking an eye, NOx and SOx, meaning nitrous oxides and sulfuric oxides, which are details of pollution, as well as details about city parks off the top of her head. Those details mean, to me, one thing, experience and passion that you can't fake. I hope that everyone also heard what I commented on at the end. Some might have heard vagueness in what she said about what people could do, but I heard focus on emotion, beliefs, and how the most important things often can't be measured. We have a lot of management in the area of the environment. What we could use in a mayor, especially, is leadership. 
that is focusing on sometimes the most important things aren't things that you can directly measure. One of the things I often say is Martin Luther King didn't say, I have a four-point plan. He said, I have a dream. And we need people to say, I have a dream. We need dreams. We need visions. So I was glad to hear that she spoke not about just details. She knows the details, but also about a vision. Also, the most important actions, I believe, are influencing others, not just what we do ourselves, but how we influence others, which require you acting with integrity if you expect others to follow. That's leadership. That's what I heard from Catherine. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step-by-step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.